0: We continue to break down the picture offered to us in Acts chapter two of who we can be, thanks to the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, of who we are meant to become together. And we do this by focusing on the following description of those who initially gathered after Pentecost in the name of Jesus. And if you've forgotten those scriptures, here they are from Acts chapter two. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. added to their number daily those who were being saved. Last week, we learned what it means to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, that to be the church means we are ever growing and maturing as the body of Christ through the revelation of the word of God in scripture and through the example and teaching of the word of God made flesh in Jesus. As we look at the next identifying mark of what it means to be the church, Today's message is based on the meaning of a single word. Fellowship. Fellowship. It's a common word used in the Bible, fellowship. But unless we're talking about Frodo and Gandalf and the Lord of the Rings, fellowship tends to be a word used almost exclusively by Christians to describe the time when, uh, say, we gather for donuts and coffee before or after Sunday worship, fellowship, all the church potlucks that we ever have, fellowship, any other time Christians get together for recreational purposes. But certainly this is not what the early Christians who gathered here in Acts chapter two were about when they spoke of being in fellowship together. So what exactly does it mean to be committed to fellowship as the church? Let's listen to this reading from the opening of the Apostle John's letter to the church to get a better understanding of the meaning of this word.
1: Our scripture for today is from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Now, Let's hear from Pastor Chris. This letter is one of five New Testament books written by the Apostle John. While John never identifies himself by name in this particular letter, Christians since the beginning of the church have identified John as its author. One way or another, the author of this letter in verse 3 clearly places himself as part of the original disciples, one of the eyewitnesses to the life and ministry of Jesus, as he writes, what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also. It's not explicitly clear which particular church is being addressed in this letter, but if the author is John, then given the congregations to whom John ministered to later in his life, see, for example, the seven churches he specifically addresses in Revelation chapters two and three, this letter is probably written for Christian communities in the immediate vicinity of Ephesus. With this context in mind, the part of this passage that we want to zero in on today is John's use of the word fellowship. Did you notice that he invokes this word three times in just the first seven verses? And what's translated into English as fellowship is, in fact, in this passage, actually the Greek word koinonia. Outside of being the winning word in the recent 2018 National Spelling Bee, koinonia tends to be a very specifically Christian word. It actually is a very important aspect of what it means to be the church fellowship, or community, this idea of sharing a common life together is the most basic meaning of koinonia. In the opening of this letter, John points to koinonia, or shared fellowship, as the goal of all his teaching that will then follow. John asserts the importance of us as followers of Jesus being in shared community with each other. But let us notice how John stresses such shared community is only possible because we first have fellowship, or koinonia, with both God and Christ. It is out of koinonia, the kind of fellowship Jesus initiates and invites us to experience with God through him that we can have and that we are called to experience koinonia with each other. But again, this koinonia isn't just any kind of fellowship. To experience koinonia as the church is not just about being buddies or friends hanging out together. To embody koinonia as the church is to learn and to practice the highest, the most sacred level of community, the divine fellowship that is God. For the Christian understanding is that the one true God is a communal God, a triune God. The very essence of the Trinity, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is koinonia, a divine fellowship of love and mutuality. And it is out of that koinonia that God creates life, all existence as we know it, And we discover in the pages of Genesis, God doesn't create anything as stand alone, as somehow apart or disconnected from everything else. No, from the very beginning, out of the circle of community that is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Lord not only creates life, but brings each part of creation into relation with every other part. It is out of the relationship of the Trinity, in other words, that all creation is connected to each other. And this relational connection is therefore sacred. In other words, we are made for community. And just in case we miss this, somewhere along the way in the creation narrative, from the very mouth of God, the voice of the Trinity, we hear these words, it is not good for any human being to be alone. And even when humanity rebels against this and rejects relationship on God's terms, in essence trying to go it alone, we witness the Lord not giving up on creating and establishing community both with us and between us. I mean, think one insightful way to read the scriptures is to witness the persistent work of God in bringing people together to speak, to listen, to be challenged, to judge and to be judged, to be reconciled and transformed together. The story of Israel is the story of God creating Koinonia, forming a new community of faith from a single family to a clan, from a clan to 12 tribes, out of 12 tribes a nation. And from the start, the declared intent of the formation of Israel as a nation is not for the Hebrew people alone, but for all people, for all nations. The coming of the Messiah is not just for Israel, but for all creation. God comes down to us in Jesus to bring all of us together to make us in the end one body of people, his body, the body of Christ. Now, some people have argued this idea of koinonia, of a common and shared fellowship, applies only to those within the church. In other words, koinonia, they say, is about how we treat each other strictly within the fellowship of Christ. But this understanding flies in the face of a key aspect of God's heart for this world that is reflected to us repeatedly in the scriptures, the Lord's particular sensitivity towards the outsider, the widow, the orphan, the homeless, the refugee, the alien. If we read carefully and if we listen closely as God speaks through the revelation of scripture, through the law and the prophets, through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the application of that gospel through the letters of the New Testament, we cannot miss the Lord's singular desire, his requirement of us as his body of being in communion with him. And what is it? In becoming the community he intends? Well, we could probably summarize it with Micah 6.8. Anyone remember? What does the Lord require of us? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly before him. As our good father, one of God's greatest desires and purposes in creating Koinonia, whether it is through the birth of a nation called Israel or through the rising of the body of Christ called the church, one of God's reasons for creating Koinonia, the reason I would argue, is for the isolated, the lonely, the alienated, and the marginalized to have a place to call home, to find a community to which they can belong. God desires humanity, and that means each individual human person both to know that they are deeply loved by him and out of the security of that everlasting love to, in turn, generously welcome others into his kingdom. And not surprisingly, this is what we discover in that picture from Acts chapter 2. This is what koinonia looks like when it's exercised in practice and not just in theory. What do we see recorded in Acts chapter 2? Here it is again, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Koinonia is behind that word common. Koinonia means participating in contributing to the community we have in Christ, sharing with others what we ourselves have received from Jesus. The first followers of Jesus gave of themselves to each other. Material resources and skills were not claimed as personal possessions. Life experiences were shared. If one rejoiced, they all rejoiced together. If one mourned, they all wept together each one belonged to another and in this way as each member of the church was at the service of every other they thereby together formed a body subject to each other a body that looked like jesus the body of christ but this body again did not exist solely for itself the verse goes on and they sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all As any had need. The body used its strength and leveraged its growth for the good of those who were outside the church, not just for potential believers in Jesus, but for any who had need. You know, if you think about it, in many ways, what we witness in Acts chapter 2 is the tangible reflection of what it means to live out the great commandment to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We all know what Jesus said that this is the highest law this is the summation of all God's rules for life. But actually practicing what Jesus commanded us to do, to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves, means to realize whatever we have been given, whatever we possess is not our own, to do with as we please. In other words, koinonia is multi-directional. Koinonia speaks to one's vertical relationship with God and to one's horizontal relationship with people. If all we are, and all we have is thanks to Jesus, then all we are and all we have been given belongs to everyone. Because Christ came, Christ died, Christ is risen for everyone. If all that Jesus is, is for all the world, then for all the world is to whom we have to offer our lives for Christ. Beloved, koinonia is a radical concept. It goes against the thinking of this world that tilts more towards segregation and division. In our ever polarizing nation, we are more inclined, increasingly practiced at separating into groups rather than coming together. We find it easier and perhaps even more satisfying to affiliate selectively with those whom we like or with whom we agree. We remain beholden to labels that keep us apart rather than bring us together. We are quick to dismiss, perhaps even mock, maybe even hate those who do not, we do not like, those with whom we do not agree. But my friends, this is not the way of Jesus. This is not practicing koinonia. That is why we as the church cannot ignore or avoid this ongoing global conversation about discrimination, racism, and injustice. And for those of us who don't believe racism still exists, let me put it to you this way. If sin still exists, If this world is still broken, then racism, trust me, is alive and well, and therefore so is injustice born of racism. Let's be clear, racism today has a different shade than it did in the 1960s. The racism being brought to light today is much more subtle, more hidden, and more unconscious. The racism we witness is no longer visible on buses or storefront signs, in hotels and restaurants, in factories, corporations, in schools and universities, in the military and in the government. No. But racism still exists in those areas systemically, which means it remains woven within the very infrastructure of all those institutions. Anyone who denies this, anyone who denies the idea of systemic racism has to provide answers. Answers for the existence of the following. Income inequality between people of color and whites. For exponentially higher incarceration rates among men and women of color. For the absence of people of color in university professorships and classrooms. For the racial profiling that occurs simply for walking on the street. For the disproportionate lack of access to health care or affordable housing. And more recently, the experience of higher infection rates of COVID-19 among people of color. The list can go on and on and on. And whether you want to attribute all of these conditions to racism or not, here's the thing. All of what I just outlined is inconsistent with the gospel vision of koinonia inconsistent with the vision of reconciliation, intimacy, equity, and true community. And that means as followers of Jesus, we should be at the forefront of these sacred conversations on racial inequality and injustice. As followers of Christ, we should model the willingness both to listen and to act for change. As followers of Jesus, we must acknowledge our mutual accountability to create a world where koinonia is possible by enacting such koinonia first among ourselves. And what that means is koinonia means not just being members of the same congregation. Being in fellowship together, we need to understand and live into the reality that koinonia is more than gathering for a potluck, more than assembling even for a worship service on Sunday. It's more than huddling together for a Bible study. It's more than going to a Christian conference or concert together. And yet this is often the extent of many Christians' vision of fellowship, of koinonia. But as I hope you've learned today, rightly understood, koinonia is a common life that begins with God through the grace of Christ that we then experience and practice in Christ together in order that we can extend and share this life we receive with God in Christ to others. Because we have all been cast in God's image, we are all children of the same parent. And therefore, we have no grounds, no grounds for discrimination based on race, gender, class, or ethnicity. In Christ, we are called to recognize our common humanity, that we are not just connected to each other, that we are constituted. We are shaped and formed by God through our relationship with others. My friends, God holds us accountable to each other in how our words, our choices, and our actions affect each other. We do not engage and act in this world as mere individuals or or even as an individual congregation. No, koinonia, being in fellowship, means operating out of the relationship we have in Christ. And that demands that we move together in following Jesus and dismantling all systems of poverty and oppression, of injustice and inequality. Christ has called us through the grace which he has lavished upon us to cultivate the same relationship of love Generosity and justice among ourselves as a human community that we experience as part of the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Once again, let us listen carefully to John's warning here. John writes in this first chapter if we claim to have fellowship with Him, with Jesus, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He, Jesus, is in the light, we have fellowship, koinonia, with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. My friends, we have no grounds to deny being our brother or our sister's keeper, regardless of the color of their skin. Being saved doesn't mean just making a confession of Christ and then starting to go to church. No, following Jesus means being the church by entering into koinonia, divine fellowship, graciously extended to us from the Father through the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then embodying this sacred koinonia, this common and shared life together to the very world the triune God seeks to redeem. It begins with communion with Christ that leads to true community with each other. It demands interacting with, learning from, and following Jesus in a way that transforms how we see this world, how we see each other, how we see the things we value and how we see the things for which we are willing to give our lives. And the starting point of experiencing this, of experiencing koinonia, is listening. Koinonia, once again, begins out of our relationship with Christ. And last week, I called us to be listening first to Jesus, to have our ideas, our perspectives, our answers, our words, and above all, our actions shaped by the way of Christ and not first from other sources of information or other so-called forms of authority. No, the teachings and the example of Jesus are our filter for discerning what is right, what is noble, what is true, what is pleasing to God. Out of first listening to Christ, we then cultivate koinonia by listening and initiating and building relationships with others, people that aren't necessarily like us people with whom we don't always agree, people who in fact may be a stranger to us or even a perceived enemy to us. Koinonia, in other words, can happen unless we decide to get outside of our echo chambers. I mean, Jesus leads us. Jesus' primary way of speaking to us is in community through people. That's what koinonia is all about. Jesus doesn't speak to us through people we watch or listen to from afar. Jesus doesn't speak to us through a bunch of talking heads on a screen or an influencer on social media who pontificates from the isolation of a microphone, a YouTube video, or a blog. Jesus speaks to us through actual flesh and blood people we get to know, that we share life together with, that we invite into our homes, not through a television that we invite to sit at our table, people who, with whom we reciprocate and are willing to go into their neighborhood, people with whom we're willing to walk a mile in their shoes to listen and to appreciate what it's like to live life with the color of their skin. My friends, to be a complete human being, to grow into the fullness of who we are in Christ, is to first understand and then to yield to our inner relationality to the understanding that we are bound by a shared humanity, a humanity that has been saved, a humanity that is being redeemed, a humanity that will in the end become one, thanks to our common gift, our common life in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Being the church, embodying the koinonia we have in Christ begins with a purposefulness, a purposefulness in following Jesus and going outside our comfort zones and the willingness to build relationship with others based first on listening, and then a commitment to dialogue, to truth-telling no matter where it leads, to honest reflection, and most of all, tangible action aimed at mutual respect, equity, love, and service. That's what it means to be the church.